Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. When I was living in New Jersey, I knew somebody who ran the New York City Marathon. And uh, the New York City Marathon is uh, pretty well known. Uh, I didn't know this at the time. I know this now looking into it. It's the world's largest marathon. It is the largest marathon in the world. Last year in 2018, over 50,000 people finished the New York City Marathon. 50,000 people running the streets of New York City to run this 26.2 mile race. It's a long race. Finishing the race is a great accomplishment, right? I think we can all acknowledge, no matter who you are, finishing a marathon race is a great accomplishment. Now, 26.2 miles may not you know, mean much in terms of understanding how really far it was. So I was trying to find some landmarks around here that might give us a little bit of an indication about how far 26.2 miles really is, all right? You all know Disneyland? You all know where Disneyland is, all right? Especially if you live around here, all right? If you ran from here to Disneyland, you ran there, not gotten a bike, not gotten a car, you ran from here to Disneyland, you would still not have finished a marathon race. Disneyland is, according to Google Maps, about 24 miles away. You got another 2.2 miles after that to complete the race. I mean, that's pretty far. I was looking down the coast, and uh, to get 26 miles down the coast will get you to somewhere around Huntington Beach, all right? So if you're running from here, you've got to run down the coast, you're running past Long Beach, you're running past all of that, you're running all the way down towards Huntington Beach. It's a long race. So people need encouragement, don't they? If you're going to run a race, and so I, w- I wasn't there for the race, but there were some family members of, uh, of the person that was running that was there, and I saw some pictures later, but... The course is lined with people holding signs and cheering on the runners. You know, they have a friend, they have a family member, they have somebody that they know that's running in the race, and so they get these big, you know, you know, poster boards and things like that, and they write some things on there, you know, keep running, keep going, you know, we're cheering you on, and things like that. And, and if you've ever seen little clips here or there, pictures here and there, I'm sure that you're familiar with this. And so all along this 26 mile race are people cheering on these runners. It's the world's largest race. There's over 50,000 people that finish. So let's say there's just a few handful of people, like two or three people per runner that are just happen to be there cheering them on. That's a lot of people. 100,000, maybe 200,000 people just lining the, these roads, cheering them on. Saying, keep going. You can do it. You're almost there. They might have 14 miles to go, but they'll say, you're almost there. You can do it. You can make it. And and there's people cheering them on. You know, the Christian life is compared to a race in the Bible. We have a race to run, and we must run with patience. We must run with endurance. And it sure is nice to have people cheering you along the way, isn't it? It's nice to have some people that are alongside of you, that are there, maybe at checkpoints or just uh, along the journey, to be able to cheer you on. Just keep going. 
You're doing great. Don't quit. Just keep on going. Keep on, keep on running. Keep on running for the Lord. That's wonderful. But I think we all know that living here in this world, it's not all people who cheer you on in the Christian race, is it? You face some people who want to discourage you from running the race. There are some people who will oppose you from living the Christian life. You know, sometimes you play home games. If you're familiar with sports, playing at home is a great advantage. You know why? Because you've got a stadium 50,000 full cheering you on. Hey, keep going. You're doing good. Hey, you scored. And everybody stands up and they cheer. But sometimes in the Christian life, you don't play home games. You play away games. You know what it's like to play an away game? When you're playing an away game, you go to the other team's stadium. You go to the other team's field. And instead of 50,000 people cheering you on, there are 50,000 people cheering the other team on. 50,000 people that boo your name when you get up to bat. People who boo you when, when you score. And they cheer when the other team does well, when they stop you from accomplishing your goal. They, they go crazy and they go cheering. And It's a good reminder that this world is not our home. Hey, as Christians, we're playing an away game. We're playing an away game. We're living in a world that is not our home field. Hey, one day we'll be at our home stadium, amen? And the angels will be cheering us on. Hey, you made it. You are here. Of course, by the blood of Jesus Christ, but you ran your race. That's great. That's wonderful. And other Christians, hey, you did good. Hey, that's wonderful that, you're, that you were able to do some of those things, of course, through the power of God. But I want to remind you that not everyone is going to be happy when you get revival. When you get a hold of the Lord, when you follow God, when you say, I have decided that I will follow Jesus Christ, not everybody's going to be happy with that decision. Not everybody's going to support you in the choices that you make to live for God. Not everybody's going to be alongside of you and say, yeah, keep on going, keep on doing that. In fact, they'll begin to question, why are you doing that? Hey, you said that you're, you're doing these things for God. How come you're doing that? You know, after I got saved and I went into ministry, graduated Bible college, I went to Korea. And I lived in, in Korea for a year. I was serving at a church. And most of my relatives live in Korea. And so I don't actually get to see them that often. Most of them are not saved. I don't know uh, how many. And I, I've talked to my parents about this. And, and some of them have a, a testimony of salvation. Most of them, though, do not. And they would ask questions like, hey, you went to college and you studied and you could get a good job that pays you good money. How come you're doing this thing? Working at a church. They would ask me questions about, you know, what are they, you know, how much do they pay you and, and how do they treat you and this and that and, and uh, why are you doing this? And, and they began to question me. Now, I didn't have a problem answering their questions. And some of you might be facing some of those same questions. How come you're living the way that you live? Why do you dress the way that you dress? Why do you go to church on a Sunday morning every single Sunday? It's a three-day weekend. And you are all here, praise the Lord. 
you're here. Everybody else is going out, doing vacation or enjoying the weekend or whatever, but you're here, and that's great, and that's wonderful. You know, your fellow co-workers and employees or boss may not be that happy with some of the decisions that you make to stand for God. Some of your family members or relatives may not be that happy with the decision that you make. Your friends that you thought were your friends and they were going to be with you to the end, when, when you began to tell them of some of the decisions that you made, you know what, I'm going to be there for my Lord. Hey, I want to worship together. I want to serve in my church. They may not be happy with you, and they're, and they're going to really question that friendship. Not everyone is going to be happy with your revival. So how do we respond to opposition in revival? Nehemiah chapter 4, I think, gives us a couple of good reminders on how to respond when the scoffers oppose us in revival. I want to see four situations this morning that will help us to remind us of how we ought to respond in revival. Number one, when Sanballat ridicules. We read the verses here this morning, verse number one, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation. He was angry. He was really angry. He was wroth. He had great indignation. I was reading that Sanballat was, was probably uh, somebody who was uh, maybe the governor of Samaria, the next county over, if you will, if you kind of want to consider it, the next state over maybe. Sanballat was somebody who was living in the area before Nehemiah returned. Nehemiah, if you know the story, he didn't live there in Jerusalem. He was in Shushan the palace when we begin the book of Nehemiah, and he came back to Jerusalem to help revive the wall. So he was there, Sanballat was already there, and Sanballat didn't like what Nehemiah was doing. He saw Nehemiah come back, he saw what Nehemiah did, he saw that the walls were beginning to be formed again, and he didn't like that. He was angry with it, he was disgusted with it. He was adamantly opposed to what Nehemiah was doing, and his opposition first came in the form of ridicule. We read the verses, but I want to read them again. Verse number two, and he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria. He's speaking about these people there in Jerusalem and said, what do these feeble Jews, these weak Jewish individuals, the wall was broken down and had been broken down for a while. Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Are they really going to build this wall? Are they really going to do what they said that they're going to do? Hey, you're going to face some questions like that yourself. When you make a decision, you know, I'm going to serve God. They're going to question that. Are you really going to serve God? Are you really going to live for God? You said that you were going to participate in this service at your church. Are you really going to keep doing that every week? Are you really going to do that every single week? Hey, you talked about some missionaries, and some missionaries came through, and they're going to foreign countries in order to preach the gospel and see people to be saved and, and to be a help to them in their Christian life. And, and you said that on a monthly basis you're going to give. Why, why are you giving to that? There's so many other causes that you might give your money to. Are you really going to do that? You're going to face some questions. You're going to face some ridicule of, you're not going to do that. Hey, that doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing that? Why are you living that way? Verse number three, now Tobiah the Ammonite, this is Sanballat's friend, was by him and he said, even that which they build, uh, even if they do build something, I mean, let's say that they really do build this wall. 
even that which they build. If a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Oh, okay, I mean, maybe they're going to build a wall, but it's not really going to mean anything. If just a measly little fox gets up on the wall, it's just going to crumble beneath the fox's feet. It's not really going to be anything meaningful. You can sense the scoffing, you can sense the mocking tone of Sanballat and Tobiah, right? I'm sure there are a great many other things that they told themselves. And I'm sure that some of you have faced the mocking as well. From your friends, maybe from family members or relatives, maybe coworkers, maybe your boss isn't a Christian, he's not saved. Maybe some of your fellow employees, your coworkers, they're not saved. And they ask you, hey, what did you do this weekend? You go back to work on a, maybe on a Tuesday after this long weekend. Hey, what did you do last weekend? What are you going to say? I was in church, right? That's what you should say, right? I was in church on Sunday. Well, I did some other things as well, but I was also there in church. Praise the Lord for that. You're in church? You ever had people ask you that? I've had people ask me that. You went to church? You know, in fact, they'll ask me this, you know, because I, I tell them we have services on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You go to church twice on Sunday? Yes. I go to church twice on Sunday. You're going to face some questions. You're going to face some real serious mocking, some ridicule. I mean, some real opposition, maybe from a boss who knows that you're a Christian and he doesn't like that, so now he's really going to, he's going to pass you over on some opportunities or some other things. I don't know what, what every individual faces, but, but you know what you face. What do we do? What did Nehemiah do? Well, what Nehemiah did was, first of all, he saw God. And that's a great thing to do. When you look at the other person or you look at some oppositions, the first thing you ought to do is you ought to look to God. You ought to see God. Verse number four says, hear, O our God. His response to the mocking and the ridicule of the opposition was he turned to God. He said, God, do you hear what they say? Do you hear what they are doing? God, do you see the opposition that we face here, O oh, our God? For we are despised. We're looked down upon and turn their reproach upon their head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. This is God, don't, don't let this go by. Hey, that's not right. They're opposing you. Verse number five, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. And always remember that those that oppose us, what they're really doing is they're opposing God. And any opposition that we face in the Christian life for living for God is the world, Satan, the flesh opposing our God. And so when we face that, what should we do? We should go to the God that we serve. First of all, see God. Secondly, what we ought to do is we ought to think right. You need to have the right mindset if you're going to continue in revival despite opposition. Verse number six says, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. 
You know why the revival of the wall continued despite the mocking? It's because the people had the right mind. They had the right mindset. Their mindset was, it doesn't matter what they do, we're going to keep on working. It doesn't matter what they say, we're going to keep on doing what God wants us to do. If we're going to have revival, we're going to need to have that right mindset. Amen? We need to have the right mindset. You need to have the right mindset if you're going to overcome opposition in your Christian life. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you're going to live the Christian life and have revival despite some opposition, you need to have that mind of Christ. You need to have the mindset that Jesus Christ has. That's why it's so important that you get into the Bible. Amen. You need to get into the Bible. You need to know what is the mind of Christ. You need to see the way that Jesus thought. You need to see the way that Jesus responded. You need to see the attitude of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the Word, was he not? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is the mind of Christ. Hey, if you're struggling in your Christian walk because there are some other people that are opposing you, get into the mind of Christ, if you will. Get into the word of God. Find out what is that mindset of Jesus Christ and get that same mind in you. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Here is Isaiah and he's saying, God will protect those and God will give peace to those whose mind is continually thinking on God and the things of God. So here is some mocking and some ridicule that Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem are facing. So what did they do? How did they respond? First of all, they saw God. They thought right. And thirdly, what should we do as well? Build on. Verse number six, we read it already. So built we the wall. Hey, don't let the mocking stop you from serving. Don't let the mocking stop you from giving. Don't let the mocking stop you from, from serving God and living for God and doing what God has called for you to do. Nehemiah knew that God had called him to build the wall and it didn't matter what anybody else was going to say. He knew what his calling was and he was going to stick with that calling. He was going to keep on building the wall. Hey, that's why, Christian, you need to know what your calling is. Every Christian has a calling, amen? Every Christian has a calling that God has put you in a place to serve, in a place to build a part of the wall. Every Christian has a calling, and you need to know what your calling is so that when the mockers come, you can say, I know that God has called me to this, and it doesn't matter what you say, I'm going to have this mindset, this mindset of working, and I'm going to build on. We won't read the end of the story, but if you know the end of the story, guess what happens? The wall was built. Hey, praise the Lord, it didn't matter what they said, the, the wall was going to be built, and it was going to be finished. Secondly, this second situation, the second opposition to revival that Nehemiah and the people faced when the sympathizers rally. So first of all, you have Sanballat and you have his friend Tobiah. They're telling their friends, they're mocking them, and the word gets back to Nehemiah and the people, and they hear the mocking and they see all of those things. That's bad enough. But he sees that it's not working, so you know what he does? He gets some friends together. 
That's what he does. Verse number seven. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah, we know the names, we just read them, and, oh, okay, now there's some more people. Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites. So now it's not just a few friends, now it's a lot of friends. Sanballat and Tobiah, they've gathered everybody who sympathizes with them and they rally them together. When they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. Now everybody's angry together. Now everybody's opposed together and conspired. Now they're scheming together, all of them together, to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. You know what? If your friend doesn't like what you are doing and he sees that what you are doing, you know, what he says and that it's not stopping you, you know what he's going to do? He's going to get a friend to come on his side. Hey, Billy, do you see what John over here is doing? Hey, John, tell Billy what you're doing. Tell, tell, tell Billy the decision that you made for God that, that you told me. You're like, well, okay. It's a chance for me to get out the word and you get to tell him. And, hey, Billy, what do you think of that? He knows what Billy thinks of that. Or, right? You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get somebody on his side. Hey, now it's not, not just you and me. Now it's, it's two against one. And if that doesn't work, he gets another friend to get on his side. And now the, the opposition is building. Now there's more and more and more people coming together. There's nothing like God working to unite enemies together. People who have nothing in common together except that they all hate God and hate God's working. So you know what? When they see God's working, you know what they do? They put down their differences and they gather together to oppose the work of God. They're ganging up now on Nehemiah. And they're ganging up against the revival of the wall. And now they're coming up with plans to hinder the work that is there. You ever experienced some of that rallying against you? It's not just one relative or family member. Now it's that whole family. Now the whole family is against you. Now all of the relatives. Now it's not just a, a brother or a cousin or an uncle. Now they're trying to get grandma and grandpa against you. And now they're trying to get other uncles and cousins opposed to you. At first at your workplace, it used to be just you and another person just having conversation. And, you know, you're just trying to discuss you know, theology and discussing the, the things of God, but, but now it's getting hostile a little bit. Now the, this word is spreading. Now your boss is beginning to question, hey, hey, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? Stop talking about that. I don't want you talking about your religion anymore. And I don't want you doing this and that. And, and then it's a coworker and it's some others as well. And now word is beginning to spread. Maybe at first it was just a friend, but now... Your group of friends, some friends that you grew up with, maybe you went to high school together, maybe you went to college together, maybe just from various aspects of life, you just met together and became friends and, and uh, just hung out together, and, and now they're beginning to be opposed to the things that you're doing. Now they're rallying together. Now it's not just you one-on-one, -on -one. now it's like one-on-two, one-on-five, one-on-ten. What do you do then? What did Nehemiah do? You know what Nehemiah did? First of all, he saw God. Verse number nine. Nevertheless, that's a great word. 
despite the rallying against him, nevertheless, it didn't matter. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. You know what Nehemiah did? He looked to God. Hey, when it was just Sanballat and Tobiah, he looked to God. When the Arabians piled on, he looked to God. When the Ashdodites came together and piled on and ganged up, you know what they did? He just kept on looking to God. You know what? It doesn't matter how many people are against us. We need to look to God. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We need to see God. Secondly, we need to think right. That's what Nehemiah did. Verse number 9, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night. We need to pray and we need to look to God. But we also need to be wise, don't we? We need to do some practical things as well. Amen? Amen? We need to do some practical things. Of course, the most important thing is seeing God work, but sometimes God wants his people to be involved in the work. Right? Every single one of us wants to see people saved all around the world, don't we? Right? Every one of you, if you're saved here this morning, you want other people to be saved. You want people all around the world to be saved, and, and I hope that you're praying that people all around the world will be saved. But what is a practical thing that we could do? You know the answer, don't you? What's the practical thing that we could do? We could give to them. We could support them financially. They need some financial support. They need some of that. Hey, you might pray that your coworkers get saved, but you know what? Maybe there's something practical that you need to do, which is you need to pray, and then you also need to open your mouth and talk to them. And that's a practical thing to do. And maybe you might say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what verses to use. You know what you could do? You could open up your Bible, and you could read some verses and share with them the verses that you read. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You could share with them that verse. You could share with them verses out of the book of Romans. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You could share with them that verse. Hey, did you know that everybody's a sinner? Did you know everyone has broken God's law? Did you know that that's what the Bible says? Hey, did you know that there is a penalty for sin for the wages of sin is death? Did you know that? It's just like if you break God's law or just like if you break, you know, the, the government's law here in the United States of America, God has a law. And if you break God's law, there is a penalty for that. Do you understand that? The penalty for sin, the wages of sin, is death. There's a place called hell. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is just, but God is also loving. God demands righteousness. God demands justice. There was a law that was broken and a penalty that must be paid. But he loved us so much that he decided that he wanted to pay that penalty for us. By sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You could share with them some of those verses. And you might need to do something practical like that. Here, what the people of Nehemiah did was they made their prayer, but they also set a watch. They said, all right, every six hours we're going to have a rotation. I don't know how exactly they did it, but every six hours we're going to have a rotation. All right, Jimmy, you watch from this uh, point on the wall, and you look out and see if anybody comes for the next six hours. That's your only job. Don't fall asleep. Don't be on your phone looking at Instagram while you should be looking out. 
They'll be doing all of those things to stand up there and watch. And you let us know. And after six hours, then, you know, I don't know, Adam. Adam's going to go over and he's going to replace you. Every six hours, 24 hours a day, somebody was watching. So even though Nehemiah ultimately understood that unless God builds a wall, hey, it's all in vain, but he also understood that he needed to be wise and be practical about it. So they had that right mindset, and of course, they built it on. They set that watch against them day and night because of them, and they continued to build. When you face some opposition and mocking and ridicule, what do you need to do? You need to see God, you need to think right, and you need to build on. Hey, when the opposition builds and there's, there's more that are rallying together against you, what do you need to do? You need to see God, you need to think right, you build on. You see a pattern here? The third situation, when servants resign. Sometimes it's not the enemies that can discourage Christians most. It's those you call your friends. Sometimes it's not the other team that discourages you most. It's people that you thought were your teammates that can discourage you the most. Because at first we saw Sambela and Tobiah, and then they gathered some friends together. But now in verse number 10, we see it's a different kind of opposition. And Judah said. Judah is supposed to be on their side. They're living in Judah. Right? Who are the people who live in Judah? It's Jewish people. People that were supposed to be on their side. People who were their blood relatives. But now Judah is beginning to talk. It's interesting, though. It's not the people in Jerusalem that we're talking. It's the people outside Jerusalem that we're talking. These were not people living in Jerusalem building the wall. These were people on the outside watching the people inside building the wall. These are what you might call fringe. P people who were there that should have been involved, but they were not involved. They weren't doing anything, were they? Hey, be very careful who you get your advice from, Christian. You want to get your advice from people who are involved. Amen? You want to get your advice from people who are actually doing it. You know, in sports, there's something called an armchair quarterback. You know what this is? The armchair quarterback is somebody like you or me who likes sports. Maybe you're sitting down on a Saturday and watching college football. You're watching the game. You're sitting on your comfortable couch. And you play. You know what some armchair quarterbacks do? You know, the guy runs the ball. You shouldn't have run the ball. You should have thrown the ball. That was a terrible decision, right? You ever meet people like that? Have you ever been that person? Amen. I think we've all been that kind of person from time to time. Thought, hey, I know better than the coach what they ought to do. I'm sitting at home comfortable while these guys are out there with their pads and they're, you know, bruising themselves against one another. But I, I think I know better than them. I, I, I know what they ought to do. What you ought to do is you ought to do this play. This play would totally work. It's funny because, you know, coaches who are 
uh, pretty smart. They usually ignore all of those things and they don't even talk about those things. But every once in a while, you'll see somebody who gets frustrated with all of the tweets that are going on saying, you know, all of these people at home, you know, they're fans, they want us to win and all of that. And, and they try to be, you know, politically correct about this whole thing. But I know deep inside what they're saying is, hey, I'm the coach. I know what we're supposed to do. You know, I was there, and we saw some things that you didn't see. Because we all, sitting at home, we miss things that the coach and the players and all of them, they see better than we do. You know what? You'll get all sorts of advice from people who are not involved in the work. You know, people who call themselves Christians, but they never go to church. Hey, I, I know what you ought to do. You ought to do this. Uh, hold on a second. I want to get my advice from somebody who's done it and is doing it. Amen? You ought to get your advice from somebody who's done it and been doing it. Somebody who's been there. Somebody who knows. Somebody who has that experience. But here is Judah. Those that are on the outside, they should be helping, but they're not. They saw the rubble. Verse number 10, the strength of the bearers, the burden is decayed, and there is much rubbish. There's a lot that was broken down so that we are not able to build the wall. It's too much. It's too big. It's too large. They saw a risk that was there as well. Verse 11. And our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. What they're saying is, you know what? The, the enemy says that they're going to come in and we're not even going to know. And they're spreading some fear among the people. Verse number 12. They saw the repetition and it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, from all places when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Here is the people of Judah, people that you would expect to encourage Nehemiah and the people to build. Instead, what they're doing is they're discouraging, right? It's too much work. Hey, they're, they're going to get in among us and they're going to kill us in the middle of our work. And They kept at it. Ten times they kept telling him, you know, all of, those, uh, all of the places that you came from, you came from Babylon, you came from some other places. Hey, they're going to come back again, so what's the point of building the wall? Hey, they're going to come back again. Hey, it doesn't matter what you build, it's going to get torn down again. You know what we ought to do? We ought to see God. We ought to look to God. Hey, when other people see the rubble, you ought to see the Almighty God. When you see the problems, you should see the one who can overcome all of those problems. When you see some adversaries, you should see the Almighty. When you see some discouragers, you ought to see the deliverer. When you see the opposition, see the one that can overcome all of the opposition. In the book of Numbers, there's a, a, a passage about the children of Israel. They have left Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. And now they are approaching into the promised land. They're getting close. And now uh, Moses said, all right, we have 12 tribes. Every single one of you tribes, you pick one man. And we're going to send those 12 men into the land of Canaan to spy out the land. To get a sense for what it's like. What's the, what's the good? What's the bad? What should we know ahead of time before we go in there? And these 12 spies go in and they come out. You remember? Ten. They were bad, but two, they were good, right? Remember the song, right? Ten were bad, but two were good. Ten spies, all they saw were the problems. They said, there are giants in the land, much bigger than us. 
hey, they're going to kill us. They're going to defeat us. We have no chance against them. And there were two spies that were good, Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb and Joshua said, you know what? God can overcome that. Hey, do you know what country we just came out of? We just came out of Egypt. We just came out of Egypt. God delivered us out of Egypt. God can deliver us from them. You know, I'm sure that's what Joshua and Caleb were saying. And when King Saul, what he saw was a giant. He saw Goliath standing there on the opposite hill over there, challenging him, challenging the army, challenging God. And all he saw was Goliath. But David didn't see Goliath. He saw God. He saw God took down a, a lion. God took down a bear. And now God's going to take care of Goliath, and he did. Hey, we need to see God. Secondly, we need to think right. Because in verse number 14, it said, you know, remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. And he says also in verse number 14, therefore, be not ye afraid of them. You know what Satan would like to do to Christians is build up fear in the heart of a believer. You know what? If you give more money to God, then, then financially you might not make it. Hey, you know what? If you're a light and assault in your workplace and you're a witness to them, hey, you know what? You might get passed over on a promotion and maybe some problems will come up in the workplace. Hey, if you're, a, if you're doing the right thing among your family members, maybe your family members, they'll start to reject you and they'll, they'll not include you and they'll separate themselves from you. Hey, there, there's going to be some fear-mongering that Satan is trying to build up, but if you see God, you don't have to be afraid. And then we need to build on. Therefore, set I in the lower places, behind the wall, and on the higher place. I even set the people after their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And in verse number 14, fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. You know what Nehemiah did was he put the people in the right place. He said, all right, we're, we need some people down on the lower parts. We need some people on the upper parts. And then what he did was he put people by the section where their families were to build that part of the wall. He put them in the right place. You know, a big part of success is just being in the right place. Just in life in general, in sports, you know where great success lies? Being in the right place at the right time. You know what? You might be the fastest, strongest, tallest guy in the world, but if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you're not getting success. You can be in the right place at the right time. You know, as a Christian, a lot of success comes from being in the right place at the right time. Hey, that's, why we, that's why we talk so much about coming to church services faithfully. It's important. One of the habits that you build up out of doing that is you learn to be in the right place at the right time consistently. Third, uh, and lastly, what we see is that they built on. We need to see God, think right, and build on. The last situation that we see is when the strife recedes. So first of all, we see some mocking. We see some actual threats. They build up an army in order to attack. And then you see some people who are supposed to be on their side. They're trying to discourage some people. But the last situation seems to be a good situation. Verse number 15, and it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. 
when the people saw what Nehemiah did, you know what they did? They backed off. They said, oh, okay, all right, they know what they're doing, they're ready for us, okay, we'll back off. You know what's great about the Christian life is that you can know that no storm lasts forever. You know, if you just keep driving through a storm, eventually you'll outlast that storm. You ever been on a road trip and you could see the clouds coming in? Hey, before you enter the storm, doesn't it seem like the clouds, they just go on forever? Like, they go way past where you can see. I mean, it hits the horizon, and it's just clouds from here until eternity is what it seems like. But you know, if you just keep on driving through the storm, eventually everyone makes it out to the other side, don't they? Right? Every storm has an end. You can know, if you just keep on driving through, you'll eventually get out of the storm. You know what you're not supposed to do in the middle of a storm? Stop. Not supposed to stop. You know why? If you stop in the middle of the storm, guess what? You'll never get to the other side of the storm. And people stop in the middle of a storm and wonder why the storm keeps going on and on and on and on. And I think the lesson is just keep going on. Just keep driving. Just keep moving. And it seems like a good thing. Finally, Nehemiah's made it out to the other side. Hey, we moved past that storm and praise the Lord. For moving past the storms. What happens when you move past the storm? Now it's sunny skies. Now it's great. Now there's no problems. Now everybody's cheering us on. What do you do? You need to see God. Verse number 20. And in what place therefore ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye hither unto us, our God shall fight for us. Even though Nehemiah made it through to the other end of the storm, he knew another storm would be coming. And so he saw God and he relied upon God. And then we need to think right. Verse number 16, and it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the habergens, and the leader, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. You know what? Nehemiah did. He said, you know what? We made it to the other side of the storm, but you know what? Half of the people will build, and half of the people will be ready to fight. And then when it's the builder's time to take a rest, then we're going to switch. And then you know what they did? Verse number 21, they built on. So we labored in the work. In your Christian race, it's not always going to be a downhill running. Sometimes you've got to be running uphill. What do you do? You need to see God. You need to think right. You need to build on. And if you do, you'll see the other side of the storm. You'll make it through to the other side. But when you make it through to the other side, don't forget, another storm will be coming. But I know that if I just see God and think right and build on, I'll make it through that storm too. I'll make it through the one after that. And you know what? Eventually the wall will be built. 